There we there go. There you go. You'll forget one day. Yeah, and it, it's going to happen. It's going to happen. Hello and welcome to episode 20 of It's Lit But Is It Funny, the podcast where we tickle the feet of literature and see if we can coax it into laughing. My name is Jonathan Pinnock and I'm the author of the Mathematical Mystery Series of Comic Thrillers published by Farago Books. And in case you're wondering, yes, book five is coming along fine. Thank you. And the fact that I have two weeks in which to finish the bloody thing is not bothering me in the slightest. My guest today is the writer Andrew Mayle, whose byline seems to be all over the arts pages of all the best newspapers and magazines, particularly Mojo, where he is senior associate editor, uh, Sight and Sound and the Sunday Times. Welcome, Andrew. Hello. Thank you for having me. It's, uh, it's a great honour and a delight. Well, you, you, you may change your mind after we've done this. But, uh, <laughs> <laughs> we'll talk more about Andrew's journalism later on, but first we're going to talk about the book which he's chosen for us, Jonathan Ames is the Extra Man. I'll have to admit to being unfamiliar with Ames's work before now, which is a shame because for obvious reasons, I'm always keen to investigate the pantheon of literary Jonathans, Coe, Swift, Franson, etc. Uh, Ames is the author of five novels, four collections of essays, one graphic novel and two television series, as well as being the editor of an anthology of transgender memoirs. The Extra Man is his second novel, and like most of his work, is heavily autobiographical. I only just found out there was, in fact, a film made of it, although the reviews suggest I probably did well not to waste my hard-earned cash on it. So, Andrew, can you give us a brief summary of The Extra Man and give us a flavour of what it was that spurred you to get in touch to talk about it? It's really interesting because I was trying to think what would have been my first encounter with Jonathan Ames and uh, I think it would have been this book I think I just I picked it up and read the blurb and thought that sounds interesting and started reading it and was really struck by and I think this is one of the topics that we'll come on to later the rhythm of, of it the, mm. the way in which it has a kind of beautiful rhythmic structure to it even when it's not funny and it is it's a very funny book but there are obviously there are passages in it that are very kind of you know, kind of quite moving and quite sensitive and, and honestly written, but it has a central comic character who is one of my favorite uh, characters in any novel. So it's about, um, The Extra Man is about um, a young man called Louis Ives, based on Jonathan Ames, who moves to New York City in the early 90s. He's just been fired from his job at Princeton boarding school for stealing a co-worker's bra and trying it on in the teacher's lounge. Now, one aspect of his character is that he aspires to be a young gentleman in, in the model of sort of the Wodehouse or War or F. Scott Fitzgerald novels. So he was, he's very sort of um, wasp in his, he's a Jewish man, but he's very wasp in his attire, mm. tight and jacket, and tries to establish routines so that people around town will know him as a creature of habits and recognize him wherever he goes. But he also dreams of being a beautiful young woman. He is a character between worlds. He moves to New York because he's inspired, been inspired by the images of it in Henry James's Washington Square. So he's a romantic and he's a nostalgic, but he's also an old soul. And soon he moves in with another old soul, Henry Harrison, flamboyant, penniless older man in his late seventies who lives in a tiny 
squalid apartments on the Upper East Side and teaches community college classes in theatre. Harrison is what we know as a walker or an extra man, a companion to rich elderly Manhattan widows who throw dinner parties and need another man to balance out the guest list because old men die sooner. So he's, um, he, he describes himself as a bit professor, bit playwright, bit walker, bit psychopath, bit intellectual, bit fascist, bit gigolo, bit escort, which is kind of quite a nice description of him. And he is also a man between worlds. And the book kind of, it follows Ives, Ives as he explores transsexual bars, confused about his sexual identity. So he's confused about, you know, whether he wants to be a sensitive young man in, in the mold of you know, an F. F. Scott Fitzgerald novel, or whether he wants to be a beautiful young woman. And you hear that and you hear that it's a comic novel and you think that it's setting itself up to be a farce, that it, you know, that it's sexual identity, extreme characters, people caught between worlds. And the, the, the joy of the book is that as well as being very funny, it's, it's written with an incredible sensitivity and mm. honesty towards these outsider characters. There is a sense in which Ames, Louis or Ames, is, is constantly on the brink of falling in love with these people. And even the, even, the, even the grotesques in the book, he sees them with an innocence and a lyricism. It's, there's no prurience to the book, or, or, mm. but also there's no sentiment either. And it's really interesting thinking about how in this sort of current age, how, you know, the, the question of kind of trans identities is kind of, a, you know, a, a, a prevalent topic, a certain, certainly if you're on social media. <laughs> and this book, which was written, which was written in the late 90s, but is set in the early 90s. So let's, we should identify the fact that it is an historical novel mm. that is capturing, you know, that is capturing in the same way that James or Wharton wrote, they wrote about a world 20 years previous or 30 years previous. So it is very much drawing on those other New York novels. It is an historical novel that is capturing an age that has gone. You know, that, that it's capturing a New York that is gone and it's capturing in, in its griminess, but also in its sense of lives crossing over and, and interacting with each other. And as well as the other novels that, you, that I've mentioned, you know, like War and, 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 and Wodehouse and, and Fitzgerald, it's a novel that also references Cervantes all the way through that it sets up the fact that this is relationship between Louis and Henry is very much a sort of Sancho Panza and uh, Don Quixote relationship. <laughs> but the other, the other book that it draws on, I don't know if this is a book that you've covered yet, but you probably will do, is uh, A Confederacy of Dunces by John Kennedy Toole. If there's any yeah, if there's any character that you can kind of equate Henry with, it's it's def definitely Ignatius J. Riley in, in, in A Confederacy of Dunces. There's a sense in which this man who feels that he is permanently quoting a kind of a life view, a philosophy, and it often borders on the, the, uh, the offensive and the outrageous, but it is said with conviction all the time. And coming back to the point where we started with, there, there was an interview with Ames where he said, the main thing I learned from living with this man who he, he names as Henry in the, in the book, but is based on a real person that he shared a mm. flat with, is I learned rhythm from him as a writer and as a stand-up comedian, which he, which he was for a while. And I think that that's the main thing about the book, that even when it isn't laugh-out-loud funny, it is written with the rhythm of comedy. And it's such a joy to read because it just bounces along, especially everything Henry says 
has such a, there's an art of delivery to it that is just exquisite and I think rereading it again that was my delight in it and also the fact that you are reading you now very much so you know kind of it's now 30 years old in terms of when from when it was set 30 years on from when it was set you're reading about how to navigate a city that has disappeared you know when he's talking about how to sneak into Broadway plays without playing without paying or even how to piss in the streets unnoticed you know you realize that this is a kind of a, a wayward lawless New York that has now gone and I think seeing it as a an historical novel is a is a really good way of looking at it because it you know it allows us to sort of imagine this this kind of the aims is capturing this 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 bygone age um with yeah. with a lot of affection and, and, and romanticism but also a lot of sensitivity mm. there's, I, I, there's, a, there's a passage I, I i just picked out to to give an example of, give an example of, of 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 henry here we took a taxi to the Whitney in the rain. It's a fantastic modern museum. As we approached it in the taxi, the Whitney looked like a gigantic brick about to topple onto Madison Avenue. When we saw the museum, Henry said, it's filled with pornography. Every exhibition is the same, sex organs and toilet seats. America is dying. The culture is dying. What nobody realizes is that all sex, homo and hetero is boring. It will take them years to figure that out. But why is everyone so crazy about sex, I asked. People have too much to eat. They don't have the survival problem which would keep them sane. We need to cut the rations. <laughs> and that's another one. He has uh, an affection towards Russia. He has a dream mm. in, in the novel of, of them, them both moving to Russia. And I'm not going to give away the ending, but I think the ending is just exquisite. I think, you know, it's very, it's, it, it's easy to find great books. It's not always to easy to find great endings. And I think that yeah, the ending is just perfect. It it it's sentiment. It is sentimental. It's 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 romantic, but it's also kind of. I find it. I read it. You know, again this morning, the ending, and I just found it incredibly moving. Mm. There's, a, there's a real. There's a real kind of emotional power to the book. Yeah, I mean, in some ways, there aren't many. There aren't that many one-liners, I, I, I suppose. It's not that kind of book, is it? No, it's not. It's not that kind it's, of book. Um, no. And as I say, it kind of it could set it up for that itself up for that. But I think yeah. what would diminish it would would be the fact that this is that these people are in some way flippant, and I don't think Ames sees any of them as flippant. I mean, there's a you know there is the the, the passage when they're looking for the car and he's you know and he's talking about Baudelaire and the, and the sexual problems of the rich and everything I do I do think is hilarious but it's the reason why it's funny is because of as I said the the almost the musical rhythm with which Henry speaks and the way it just dances along there's a lot you know that one of the things that he does in the novel is is dance in his flat to Cole Porter and um, the way he speaks is he is he is also a playwright. He's a failed playwright. And the way that he speaks is very it's very musical, but it's also very theatrical. And it's kind of and I think it's very much the way that he is, you know, removed from, from the normal world. And just it's it, I think, you know, I think I think it's funny because it's so irreverent as well and there's just a kind of henry's disregard for the norms of the world is very funny as well did you find it funny jonathan 
did I find it funny? I, I didn't find it. Yes, I did find it. I found it funny in places, but it was also quite sad. Um, yes. And I, 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 I was, I was struggling to sort of say, was this actually a funny novel or novel that had funny elements? And whether that actually yeah. matters, the distinction. Yeah. I, I, I've been reading uh, Wake Up, Sir, which is the one yeah. that came after. That is, that, I mean, that, that is, is funny. That is a more overt comic novel, isn't it? It is, yeah. But I think it's uh, a lesser book. I, you know, I would argue that Wake Up, Sir doesn't have... I think Wake Up, Sir is basically, it's kind of... In this novel, the the, the main character's hang-up is that he is, you know, he's addicted going to going to transvestite bars. And in Wake Up, Sir, it's, it's the fact that the character is an alcoholic, something else Jonathan yeah. Ames was. And yes. but both characters imagine themselves as as young gentlemen in in the model of sort of Wodehouse, yeah. and so in, in Wake Up Sir, the character basically invents this butler amanuensis to sort of get him out of his uh, his alcoholic scrapes, if I remember rightly. Yeah, yeah, that's pretty much it. And yes, that's a more defiantly comic novel, but is it a better mm. novel? And are the characters as believable? I don't think so. Mm. And I think as a comic creation, which is what I was thinking of, yeah. the Henry Harrison is a, is a true, mm. I think, a truly great comic yeah. creation. Yeah. I hadn't appreciated how, how autobiographical it was until I saw an interview with him. Yeah. And the, the whole of it, I mean, even Sally's bar, is, yeah. was Sally was called Sally's Bar. Yeah, absolutely. And in um, you mentioned the film, and no, the film isn't great. Mm. But if you enjoyed the book, it's worth watching. Because maybe I do, should. Yeah, maybe I should. Yeah, they recreate it, yeah. Sally's Bar, and the Kevin Klein's performance as Henry Harrison is really good. I mean, mm. the, you can tell that Klein loved the character, but also you can tell that Klein embraced the way Harrison speaks, and I mm. think kind of it's. It's probably worth saying that when um, when I first met my wife, one of the things that we used to do was read to each other. We would read books to each other. And mm. one of the books that I read to her was The Extra Man. And she and it is a book that really benefits from being read out loud because everything yes, that Henry says, everything that Henry says is, is a joy to utter aloud. And I think it kind of increases the comedy of it because a lot of the time, these are things that should not be said out loud or might not be said out loud in polite society. So the fact that you are proclaiming them with a sort of, you know, th theatrical brio is really funny. And Colette just absolutely fell in love with um, <laughs> Henry and just and also Lagerfeld as well and all the subsidiary characters yeah. they you know you can see why it was turned into a film because they are characters that kind of they come alive when they're when they're, oh, yeah. you know, they're spoken out loud yeah it, it, it's quite fascinating uh, reading that and uh, wake up sir and looking and watching a few episodes of his tv series bored to death the same obsessions keep recurring Absolutely. I, I started yeah. making note of this. This relation, relationship to alcohol. Yeah. Trans women, older yeah. women, dynamics between older, responsible, well, semi-responsible men and younger would-be bohemians, or whatever. Failed relationships and anglicisms. And the, the, the same sort of things keep popping up. And it's, Absolutely. It's but I mean, exploring them. Which, yeah, which, they because they are all rooted in sort of autobiography. I mean. 
Bored to Death is very much a fiction, but it is rooted in the fact that for a time, Ames wanted to be a, a private detective and I think operated as a private detective. And then that also fed into his novella, You Were Never Really Here, which mm. was obviously then made into the astonishing Lynn Ramsey film. So you can see that kind of the, he has gradually become a crime writer through that yeah. obsession with kind of, I think, characters who, as, as we said, characters who walk margins, characters who exist between worlds. I mean, that's there in The Extra Man, but it's also there in, in You Were Never Really Here. And I think that's one of the reasons why he's fascinated with New York, because it's, it's maybe less so oh, yeah. now. You know, but yeah. it's a it's it's a place where these between worlds characters can exist. These can you know, and and also, you know, can exist with kind of a sense of being embraced. I mean, one of the things that, that, that's very funny, um, Ames said about the fact that he is Jewish and dresses like a, you know, sort of Harvard or you know, sort of white Anglo-Saxon Protestant Harvard graduate. Mm. He calls it religious cross-dressing, you know? So, <laughs> so you know, yeah. he is, and, and but he's pointing out the fact that, you know, we are all of us kind of putting on these kind of costumes to pass as something else. Mm. I think that's not, you know, I, I really like that idea. And you kind of realise that that's what everyone is doing in The Extra Man, that mm. they have their, their public persona and then they have this other persona which sometimes is quite you know as you say it's quite a sad book it's quite melancholy you know but it's very much about the idea of performance which is one of the reasons why it's such a joy mm. to read out loud because all mm. of these people are putting on masks and you know and and, and being something else that they are not and it's, it's kind of basically saying oh, well you know not to reduce it to a cliche but hey we, we are all doing that mm. The other thing uh, I absolutely loved was the constant references to "Are you being served?" Absolutely which... fantastic! Yeah, it's just which and is... the fact that this becomes their kind of nightly ritual. <laughs> yeah, sides of, of "Are you being served?" But also Henry's belief that Molly Sugdu is one of great, is one of the great comic actors of our age, <laughs> you know? and and he's right, you know, and yeah. kind of. But but also, you know, the fact that they identify with the other thing to say about the book is that it's very much much of it is very much. And certainly Henry is in the tradition of camp, mm. you know. And yeah. so, I mean, you know, and, and throughout there, you know, Henry's sexuality is, is questioned throughout. Yeah. But it's very obvious that their, you know, their, their main kind of viewing experience is, is, is one of English camp, English camp mm. at its finest. Mm. <laughs> Yeah, I, mean, I was thinking it was the weirdest literary reference I'd come across since Joan Didion's obsession with Tenko in, in the Euromagical <laughs> Thinking. <laughs> it's also, um, no, also um, um, Patty, Patty Smith's obsession with Endeavour as well. And I think, was, <laughs> yeah, no, because I interviewed so, Patty Smith and we, um, we basically ended, ended the conversation talking about British um, crime series because she's, she absolutely adores them and she cares. Has a period every year where she books herself into a, an English hotel and just binge watches uh, English crime series. <laughs> Wonderful. Yeah. yeah. It, it's, it's fascinating how far these things travel, isn't it? And, and, and yeah. So weird. Part of the vibe I got of the sort of place that 
Henry and Louis are living in, it sort of had a sort of vague sort of Chelsea Hotel feel to it. Yeah, very much so. And, and I I think was, that... Sorry, go on. Uh, no, I was going to say, I was sort of thinking of, of uh, Just Kids or Paddy, you expect it yeah. to bump into Paddy Smith and Robert Mapplethorpe coming out of <laughs> But it's, you know, it, it's uh, you know, I think it's very pointedly a time capsule of old New York, yeah. you know, mm-hmm. and just, I mean, but I also find it's very funny, his battle with the fleas and with the cockroaches and everything and mm-hmm. the kind of, or- and the orange carpet and the, you know, and his, his only decorations are Christmas tree baubles and everything. I just, you know, I, I find, I think I found it absolutely lovely. And, and I, you know, I think, I've, I grew very fond of Henry and was kind of, it was pleased to discover that when I kind of revisited the book, that that fondness was still there. Mm-hmm. That even though he is, you know, he might be described as a terrible misogynist, incredibly right wing, you know, some, something of a ca- occasional casual racist, you know, there is such charm to him and such, and also such sadness to him as well that, that um, Ames captures in his portrait that you, I don't think you see any of, I mean, my my issue would be with sometimes with the comic novel, that the characters are there to deliver one-liners, you know, that they are there to kind of, and the sense that there are real people there being depicted is is kind of less than, lesser, a lesser fact. And I think Mm. the reason why I respond to, even would say something like, you know, Confederacy of Dunces, there's no real sense when you read that, that Ignatius is a real person. He is a comic, he is a fantastic comic construct. And there's, there's so much to be said for that. But I think Henry Harrison is both a fantastic mm. comic construct, but also a very real person in the novel. Yeah. Yeah, I will certainly read, uh, read more of his stuff. And uh, I'll, I'll also... I, I, I really, I'm really upset that I haven't managed to, to get to see any of his uh, second television series, Blunt Talk, because the it combination... Was, yeah, of, it was briefly on... I think maybe when Colette and I watched it, we watched it kind of illicitly using, you know, <laughs> basically kind of... and just found copies online for, in America. Mm. I don't know if it was ever broadcast in the UK. Uh, and it's a combination um, of pa- Patrick Stewart and Adrian Scarborough. I mean, Adrian Scarborough is yeah. one, one of those actors who, who, who if he, he sort of appears on screen immediately, he somehow dominates it. There's something about he's, it. He's absolutely. Did you see that there is he is uh, starring in his own um, crime series that's coming to no. Peacock TV? Ooh, yeah, he's starring right. in something called The Chelsea Detective, which, right. whilst not great, basically has Adrian Scarborough in a starring role. So how can it not also be uh, great? Well, know? indeed. <laughs> yeah. And yeah. also, let's not forget the Blunt Talk's also got the brilliant Jackie Weaver okay. in it as well. You know, it's kind of, it's mm. wonderful. And if you are interested in all the themes of Jonathan Ames's books, they're all in there. Mm. You know, the kind <laughs> of the, um, the, the, the strange kind of, sexual predilections the alcoholism the uh you know but also the the innocence and the sensitivity and the lyricism i think Mm -hmm. ames's skill if we're talking about his skill as a writer is an ability to make us care about characters who in the hands of other people might be seen as 
freaks or yes joke, you know or, or, or means of merely delivering a punchline or a joke yeah. Yeah, and you you know you care about these characters and I think Pat the, the one lovely thing about blunt talk is you can clearly tell how much Patrick Stewart loves the character that he's playing you know mm. it's rare you know it's rare to see him uh, be given a great comic role and also but and to and to embrace it so richly mm. yeah worth tracking down even if mm. it's on a yeah. kind of you know, american dvd or something yeah see if i can find it yeah right so let's let's move on a bit to talk about uh, yourself I, I i just opened up my latest copy of mojo I've got a long-standing subscription to it. Right. And I spotted, I spotted page 38, uh, Al Green's albums on the high label, summarised and rated. Page 74, yeah. Mike Nesmith's post-monkey albums, summarised. Page 88, five-star review of Jeff Parker's new album for folks. Page 92, feature on reissues by broadcast. And that actually got me to dig out my copy of The Noise Made by People, so that's all good. Good. Uh, page 97, four-star review of Movie Tones Peel Sessions. 1994, yep. 1997, <laughs> and pages, pages 102 to 3, How to Buy Dusty Springfield. I probably missed that one too, but those are all your bylines I could find. So <laughs> that, was, that was a good month, yeah. I mean, kind yeah. of, Mojo has been, I mean, I, I, if, you, if you follow me online, you'll know that my, my wife died at the, the start yeah. of lockdown in sure. 2000, and um, it's been, you know, kind of, it's not always been easy and it's not always been easy to deliver stuff on time and to kind of to, you know, to, to kind of keep myself on track, as it were. Yeah, I can imagine. Mojo, been, Mojo have been absolutely fantastic. They mm. kind of, I mean, I think all freelancers will tell you that if you've got a sympathetic editor, you're, you're halfway there. Mm. And mm. a sympathetic editor in terms of understands how you write, what you enjoy writing, but also the fact that, you know, even if it's a few days late. And also just the pleasure, I think I was saying about the pleasure of being able to write about something that gives you pleasure. So not only is there joy in writing about music, there's the joy in listening to it as well. And one of the things to, to bring it back to the extra man, although, I mean, I would not describe myself as a comic writer because a lot of the time I'm, I'm writing about stuff where the person I'm writing about or the music I'm writing about takes center stage. And I'm, you know, I'm not there to write about myself or to kind of, but where, what I do think I've learned from comic writing and also bringing it directly to the extra man is what I was saying earlier, the importance of rhythm, you know, the oh, way yeah. in, the way in which rhythm can give a lightness to a piece or, a, you know, or the way in which I think one of the great skills of music writing, and sometimes you have it and sometimes you don't, is the way in which you can choose words that sound like the music that you're writing about. Mm -hmm. Because if you, don't, if you don't have mainly, you know, usually music, most music writers, popular music writers don't, can't read music, but also the the point being that most of the people who read a magazine like Mojo, the majority, not all, can't read music. So to use technical terms to describe what you're listening to is often kind of exclusive and problematic. So to be able to write about something in a way that kind of conveys its sound, 
but uses it in common language is, you know, is, is a good skill to have. And I think, you know, that the way Ames writes and the way he creates the character of Henry Harrison is there is a musicality to the way Henry speaks. Mm. There is kind of the music, the language of the theatre and the language of the musical. And I think that's a lovely skill to have. And it's a lovely and it makes it a joy to read. It makes it kind of a delight to read everything he says. Mm. Yeah, I mean, it, it, it's, it's interesting how how the style of writing in something like Mojo is compares with I mean, I grew up reading the NME in the sort of late mid mid to late seventies. Yeah, it's a completely different thing. Because I mean, Mojo, to me, so it, I, 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 I had a very pretentious description of it here, which is Mojo combines the aesthetics of an upmarket glossy with the sensibility of a lovingly roneoed and stapled together fanzine. Yeah, I think the and, I think the the fanzine element is to do with I think the the passion it, for the music a, and, 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 and res respect word. as well. Like, Respect, yeah, respect for the yeah. for the material. Yeah. Yeah. But I think also in terms of like the up the, the there is a real attention to how the pages are designed, how they're made to look like mm. the often made to look like the albums that you're writing reading about, but yeah. also the picture research is of a high quality as well. Mm. So yeah, there's a there's a real sense of kind of hopefully a real sense of reverence, but nothing not. I would hope not too po-faced, you know, and yeah, there yeah. is a bit of wit in there that I yeah. think is important as well. Because, uh, I mean, the old enemy stuff, it was, it was so totally writer-focused. It's trying very hard to be new journalism. And, and not, as, not as bad as um, Melody Maker. I mean, I read the enemy. Really? Not at all. I, I no. used to switch between the two, but... I... yeah. No, I would say certainly as it moved into the 90s as well, that the Melody Maker was very writer-centric and yeah. it would be about the, the individual writer's response to a record or dislike mm. of the record. And I think it was kind of, it was the undoing of a certain kind of music journalism, I think, because, you know, it... And, and I, I think I've never... I was never a fan of you know, writers like Stephen Wells and things like that, where there was, you know, a real, uh, you know, th there was this kind of like, what, what we might now call an awesome takedown of something where it was just <laughs> kind of a, you know, a screed, a kind of, you know, a, a, a bolus of bile thrown at kind of this, you know, the, the artist. And um, I never found any value in it. And, I, and also importantly, I never found it funny. You mm. know, I kind of, there. I think there are, funny music writers but they're never those who say look at me look how hilarious i'm being look at my, look at how much i hate this music you know yeah i mean some, sometimes i used to wonder if, if if the people writing actually enjoyed music at all but i, I still kept reading the damn thing yeah it's kind of i mean, I mean yeah there i mean you can understand how if you were doing this you know week after week you you might become jaundiced mm. Yeah. And you also, you can also understand, certainly I've seen that where you can tell that people holding on to the job is much more, it, it, it is, has much more value than whether they still care about music in the same way that they're used to, you know, so it's, but then that's, you know, that's true of every area of writing, you know, you look for the people who still have a kind of a wit and a passion to them. I'm using that awful word again, sorry. <laughs>
Yeah. I mean, so, so how did you sort of how did you get into all this sort of thing? I was um, teaching. I'd been I'd done an MA in film at Warwick University and I'd been held on as a part time lecturer there. Mm. But I'd also started dating, seeing this young woman who was a music journalist. Right. And it was back in the day of letter writing, you know, sort of uh, <laughs> the epistolatory romance. <clears throat> and so I would complain about, you know, essay marking and, and stuff like that and all that kind of stuff. And she said, well, you know, you like music. You, you know, you can write because I can tell by your letters that you can write. So why don't you, you know, why don't you just write a few reviews for Select Magazine and see what they say? Mm. And um, I wrote some reviews for Select Magazine. They liked them. Then I moved to London and I was teaching at uh, University of East London. And then I just, you know, was balancing the two jobs and then just started getting more writing work. And so quit my job at UEL and just kind of carried on writing and carried on being a music journalist. So, you know, there is the, the, the smart money would have been on me staying in uh, academia and becoming a, you know, a full, a full-time lecturer, but I didn't do that, but it's kind of, it's hard to say which one I would have enjoyed more. Yeah. It's, it's been nice doing this. So I've been doing this for 25 years now. Wow. Yeah. But I still enjoy it, which is important. And I still, yeah. and I like, you know, I also write about films and, and, and books and TV. Mm. And it's kind of, it is nice to just step back and go, you do know what you get paid for, don't you? You get paid to listen to records, watch the telly, read books. And uh, that's, not, that's not bad at all. But presumably that only works if you have an absolute a comprehensive knowledge of it, which, I mean, does it ever become a chore keeping up? Because... I, I sort of look at, you know, the, 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 the history of music since, and, and it just keeps on just growing and growing. And I, I, I struggle to sort of get to grips with, I'll probably rewind and start this again. What <laughs> 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 I'm trying to say, I, 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 I mean, does it ever become a chore keeping up with, with stuff? It doesn't, I mean, it's never a chore to keep up with music that you like. Yeah. It's, always, it's always a joy to discover new music. The thing to realise is that if it's stuff that you're not keeping up with, uh, someone else is keeping up with it. Yes. So, you know, it's, yeah. you, don't have, you don't have to do everything. And, sort of mm. by, and also by my age now, I'm probably what, you know, my editors would regard as a specialist in certain areas <laughs> that get me, get me to do certain things. So yeah. there's not that fear that things are passing me by and I still you know I still read music journalism and I still you know I and I follow lots of people online so there is a sense that kind of I'm keeping up with the stuff I like the real sort of downside is just kind of that I can't afford to buy everything whether it's a download or a cd or a record because there is that real sense of guilt that you are not being able to support them all of the musicians that you like at a yeah. time when it's a real struggle for people putting out music and so you know you'll get sent free stuff which is great but at the same time you want to keep buying stuff as well because you want to support these people not just through the words that you write about them but actually mm. giving them hard cash so if there's a sense of guilt or, or or feeling behind 
the eight ball. It's not in terms of keeping up with the music. It's in terms of being able to actually kind of remunerate these people for the music they're making. And I think there is so much good music being made at the moment, but it's kind of, it's atomized. It's it's ateliolated, you know, it's not all coming at you through the same number of record labels it's being self-released it's being put up on Bandcamp. it's mm-hmm. you know it's being it's always being released by small labels and they're only pressing up 200 copies so by the time that you hear about it you can't afford it so you know those are the things that kind of bother me the fact that you you know that kind of I might miss out on something, but you're always going to be hearing it because it'll always be on Bandcamp, you know. And I think, you know, during all this kind of consternation about Spotify, we, you know, we forget that kind of we have Bandcamp and Bandcamp is sort of artist-centred and it's about paying the artist and the money goes almost directly to the artist. And on Bandcamp Fridays, it all goes to the artist. And the fact that it's always up there for you to listen to as well, you know. And so that's that's a fantastic resource. And I follow enough people online on Twitter who are posting, um, you know, great music every day. So if I couldn't keep up with all of it, but then, as I said, other people are, you know, you've got other people doing it for you. And so you can just concentrate on the music that you like. Mm, Yeah. I mean, given your sort of, level of 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 specialism and would have you considered writing sort of full-length books on on uh, that sort of thing i've been i mean i have been approached a lot of times about writing music books and i think the, the problem is that i've re- i've read so many music books that i've become quite jaundiced about them and very rarely <laughs> very rarely enjoy them and kind of think that I would, until I've got an idea that excites me, rather than someone coming to me and saying, would you like to write a book about this person or this artist? Until I've got an idea that excites me, I'm not going to do it because I would just fear something that kind of was, you know, wrote and for, for the money. And there, yeah. are enough bad, there are enough bad music books out there in the world without me adding to it. And so I have an idea for a book that is a non-music book, but the last two years have not been good for me um, in terms of self-discipline. I work well with an editor. I work, you know, and even then I've, I've missed deadlines over the last few years. But in terms of structuring my own writing life, these last two years have been terrible for that. So I have an idea. It will get done. But I think, you know, recently it's it's just been concentrating on keeping, you know, my mortgage and my mental health in check first mm. and then kind of everything that. else comes second, you know. Yeah. Really important question I've got to ask you. What happened to the Mojo cover mount? I, as a contributing editor, <laughs> I don't know, but I think it was just a, a one-month thing that basically something fell, fell through or there was a funding yeah. thing or something because I think the editor <laughs> left said it would be back the next month. And oh, I think, right. it, okay. yeah. And I think I was it was, kind of yeah, but it's really interesting that in this day and age of streaming, yeah. you think that people are still committed to that CD cover mount. And obviously yeah. it kind of, it kind of ties in with the fact that people saying that there's a CD revival and that, that people are realizing that, you know, in this day of kind of either unaffordable vinyl or, or, or sort of 
inconsequential downloads that the CD is kind of having, a, is bouncing back and people are rediscovering their love for it. So it's mm -hmm. been really interesting to see how people responded to it and genuinely did miss it as a thing that they were, they were expecting with their magazine. So that's been, I mean, in a way that's been quite positive. Yeah. Because I, I, I think it's sort of the sense of, 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 of a curated sort of selection of, 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 of stuff that, that um, I've certainly found new things from, from uh, listening to those uh, cover art CDs. And uh, I've actually got a, com a, a complete unbroken set of them. But, uh, oh, fantastic. Really that's great. No, I mean, that's really <laughs> good, you know, to, you know, to see them as a, you know, as an edu yeah. education tool of kind yeah. of just expanding your knowledge of music is really good, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I've also got a complete set of wire cover mounts and song lines cover mounts and BBC Music Magazine, but that's all getting... Yeah. The, I mean, that's... <laughs> going back to what we were saying about, you know, other music is always getting covered somewhere else. I, I find that the wire is invaluable for me because yeah. I'm not on those mailing lists, you know, and sometimes the labels that are putting out those records are only sending stuff into the wire because they know it will get covered there, yeah. you know, and they know that, you know, they, they, I, I write a kind of outside music underground column, you know, every other month or every, every two months. And I've only got space for five records and the wire are putting out, you know, a magazine full of that stuff every month. And it's just, I mean, and also, you know, their access to artists that you might, you know, I, I just think they do, you know, an absolutely incredible job. And um, it's, you know, I would say kind of alongside Mojo, it's the one music magazine that I find invaluable, you know. The, the magazine I used to love, and it, it was run by one guy, and it lasted for only a couple of years back in the probably late 70s, early 80s. Did you ever come across Impetus? God, I've never even have never even heard of that, Jonathan. No, and I, I'm so upset because I, lo I, did, I had a complete run of it and I lost it in the house move. And I, occasionally, you, you, I mean, I've Googled it on, online and there are very, very few copies ever turn up. Yeah. And well, it was, so what was it focused on? What kind that, of music? It, it was... I mean, give you an example. This is the first time I'd ever come across Carla Blaze Escalator Over the Hill was in that. Oh, fantastic, yeah. Klaus Schultz, Tangerine Dream. It's, it's all that sort of, all the stuff that Virgin put out before they went punk. And yeah. um, on the Caroline label, that sort of stuff. Yeah. And, oh, fantastic. Um, it, That's it was, great. It was, it was, it was, um, I was, I'm sure they must have done a complete, uh, I'm sure they must have done a complete issue on Henry Cow. Yeah. That would have sort of fitted in. <laughs> and, um, it, it was, it was um, but it was just, it, there was only ever one byline in it. It was this guy, Kenneth Ansel. I've no, I, I, I've no idea what happened to him. Yeah. And um, it, 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 was, it was just the greatest uh, music magazine I've come across. And it's just vanished. <laughs> wow. And what, so do you think it was all written by one person then? Pretty much. Pretty wow. much. It was, you know, the, the production it was sort of, I think it had a slightly glossy cover. Hmm. And it was it was reasonably well put to, printed and put together, uh, but it's just one guy, and he put it out every couple of months, maybe. Well, ran for two or three I'm years. Gonna, I'm going to try and track it down now. <laughs> do you have it? Do you have it saved as an eBay search, waiting for copies to come up? Yeah, <laughs> it never seems to come up. But, uh, it'd be like the time when I, I, I recollected uh, SFX magazine cassette one. That was a 
that was a bizarre one. So thank you very much for uh, coming along. No, no, th no, thank you, Jonathan. I really enjoyed it. Yeah, great. Well, this place is intended to be free from adverts, and so if anyone paid advertiser anyway. But if you've enjoyed this episode, please feel free to reward us by, in Andrew's case, supporting his journalism, and in my case, by my books. Andrew is please on Twitter. Do. Yeah, subscription to Mojo is very cheap at the moment. Yeah, it's, it's an excellent magazine. Thank you. Uh, and even with, especially as the cover maps are coming back. Um, yes. <laughs> Andrew is on Twitter as Andrew Mail with a six instead of the E. Yeah. I'm on Twitter as John Pinnock, and my website is jonathanpinnock.com. This podcast now has its own Twitter account as LitbuttPod, and DMs are open, or email me on litbuttpod at gmail.com. And do please rate, review, and subscribe so that other people find out about all the fascinating stuff here. You'll find this podcast in all the usual places. Next time, I'll be talking to the best-selling novelist, Callie Taylor, about Oink and Braithwaite's hilariously bonkers, My Sister the Serial Killer. See you then. You so you, can you, can you are you still you're so you're not as deep into music as you used to be then but you were quite deep into it at oh, one time. yeah i was deep into it and I, 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 I i'm still deep into the music that i used to listen to i guess but i'm not so much picking up on on, on new stuff yeah um, so what kind of what kind of stuff would you would you say you you were deep oh, into um back to uh deep into it well i mean my sort of main obsession uh, was always King Crimson. Yeah, and that was that was my sort of introduction to to rock music back in late sixties. Yeah, because um, I got into it when uh, In the Wake of Poseidon came out, <clears throat> oh, which was yeah, yeah. frankly a bit disappointing after the first one. But there you go. Yeah, um, <clears throat> um, and I sort of come back to them at various periods of my life when I because I, I sort of went away from went away from from rock music for, for a while and just listened to classical for a couple, for yeah. a couple of years till I went to university and then everyone's just to rock music again so I got into I picked up with King Crimson again around about the time as Lark Stones and Aspic and um, then I sort of kept an eye on them ever since I've got all this uh, it's an obsessive collector thing coming out again, but I've got all all the CDs in the King Crimson Collectors Club. Yeah. <clears throat> you, which... I mean, you, you must follow Sid Smith then online, don't oh, you? Oh, yeah, yeah. 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 So he must be, in a way, he's kind of he's kind of like a blessing and a curse for the King, King Crimson. <laughs> because they're just, I mean, I follow him, and it's like kind of, it just seems like the reissue stuff for King Crimson just seems to be an endless ongoing uh, project. Well, there was this insane thing where, that they set up King Crimson TV, which they, they were actually filming every single concert of one particular tour. Bloody um, hell. And you could just buy the whole lot. And it, it sort of fell through because I think people weren't quite that obsessive. But it, 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 it's almost like um, I remember a friend of mine, he, 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 he went, went to someone's house and saw their CD collection. They said, oh, that, that's an impressively large collection you've got there. Said, no, that's just the Grateful Dead. <laughs> yeah, yes. <laughs> so it, it gets a bit silly after a while. I mean, I, I, I was I was very much into Henry Cow at one time. Yeah. Um, and uh, that sort of stuff. But yeah, I, 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 I'll listen to anything. But um, there was a great band that came out 
two or three years ago, made one album, then vanished. Watermark. Was it Watermark? No, Watermark. Uh, Water Pageant. No, I don't know them. Gorgeous album. And sort of, I, I, I heard that, I heard a track on both Late Junction and Folk on 2. Yeah. And it was that sort of crossover, I guess. And uh, so I bought the album and it, it's, it's absolutely lovely. And they just, I followed them on Twitter and, and that's something, they, but they just completely vanished. Completely wow. vanished. And oh, I what's guess their name again? They, they could make it Water Pageant. Right, and okay. the we'll, album... we'll cut all this out, all this ramble. We'll cut all this out. But I'm just <laughs> 